You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Coming to you on Monday, the 19th of June. Last week, I specifically left something under the show notes because Vince wasn't here. <laughs> and I know this is a game uh, that... You, you left Beyond Good and Evil for me? No. <laughs> no, we're not talking about that. <laughs> we already covered that. Every which way we possibly could, we covered that. No, <laughs> no Kuni, because I, I, I know that... Again, this is a title that we're both excited for, and we did get some gameplay. We got a little bit more information, so I thought, you know what? Let's just save it for when a few days later as it happens, and then tackle it then. So go for it. Yeah, at E3, uh, not at any of the conferences or anything, but just on the show floor and through various interviews and whatnot, they actually showed off quite a bit of Nino Kuni 2 Revenant Kingdom, which comes out in November, yeah. which I got to get myself ready for that. It's going to be a busy fall, I fear. Well, that's going to depend on if it's going to have the same level of, of depth that we saw in the first one. That I don't know. It's still going to be a, you know, sure. several dozen hour experience regardless, I'm pretty sure. I would say probably more than that. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I, I, maybe not the 100, 150 that I know we both put into the first one, but quite a bit, I would assume still anyway, just, just to play through the thing. Exactly. But we got a really cool story trailer kind of giving us a feel of what the the game is going to be like. We, we know you play, you know, Evan, the little cat boy, you know, he has to regain his kingdom, but we didn't really know too much more beyond that. And we still don't know the details, but I, I, this trailer actually, I, I was really enamored by this because, you know, he's now following in the footsteps of a great king. Like, you know, he has to reforge what's known as the king's bond with all the various people of the realm. And that that's the way he can become the true king. And it's going to be cool because you're going through and, you know, it's a typical RPG of, okay, go to this town, help the people. But that's one of the things that makes Nino Kuni work, that it is like this innocent kind of basic yeah. story. Yeah. But it's, you know, the way that they establish the characters and you fall in love with them through this simple premise just for the first game made that so outstanding. And I, I have a feeling we're going to get the same here. But one thing I really liked is... I don't know if they're permanent. I'm assuming they're just going to be temporary additions, but there's going to be a lot more characters in your party than just the three we've seen. There's, I saw a lot of like extra people on the battlefields, you know, in the party menus. So it's going to lend uh, some interesting parts to gameplay and character development that, you know, it's not just going to be these three kids that we've seen so far. There's going to be a lot more variety to the cast in the game. I'm wondering whether or not um, how it's going to be handled in terms of that party, if, if if basically people come in and out of your life at different points and mm -hmm. and join your your quote unquote party organically in that way, or if it's more of an RPG kind of party system where like Bioware thing, they, they join your party and then you can right. choose to which one you want to take with you. And there's advantages to both and slight disadvantages, but the advantages being, of course, you either get a nice organic story where people come in and out of your life as in real life, or you get this great RPG system where 
you do look at their strengths. You look at who works best with what to decide whether which which members you'll take on your team. If of course it makes a difference, which one if they have different stats or whatever. So either way, I'm kind of interested and really curious how they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's just it was a small little thing that didn't even really discuss. It was just you know, oh yeah, you know, it's just in the trailer because it's part of the game. But it's something I definitely latched onto as hey, that's not something they've talked about before. Yeah. And then we also had the gameplay footage of that boss fight where at first I was like, what's it, it did not impress me at all nope. until I realized it was a lot of the guy playing the game, learning how to play it. Because as the fight went on and he was learning, like how to use the little higgledies and charging up his attacks and like as it went on, like he was dealing more damage and being more effective. And I was like, OK, it's still not the original game, which the gameplay in that was so fantastic, but it I have hope. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I as as we get closer to release date and as more is released, I'm very much looking forward to the story and to the light elements of going around and interacting with people. Because like you said, it's it's a game where and again this shows you how subjective games are too. It's a game where Given the most mundane of tasks as you would quests in other games, it, it they don't bore me because you're interacting with the people in the town and you're going and doing stuff. And it doesn't always have to be these grand epic moments. It can be just this. This is the life in the city. These are the normal things we have to deal with and then helping the city out. So but the gameplay is still something that I am I'm worried about. I, I'm, I'm worried that it will not be nearly as engaging. And part of what made Nino Kuni the first one so fantastic was that combat system. And it, it was the, one of the, the driving forces behind you continuing to keep coming back to, to keep leveling up your guys and to, to get your party to where you want it to be. So, again, I'm a, I'm, I'm a little concerned. You're not alone. Yeah, I, I'm still excited for it. I'm still almost definitely going to buy it and play it. And unless it's, you know, reviews come out and they're like, no, no, it's terrible. Stay away. But it's it has that even though it's not really a, the Ghibli co-production like the first one does, it still has that sense of wonder and yes. that style. And it's it looks beautiful. And that's, you know, that there's always enough. place in, in the library for just a fun, lighthearted yes. game. Yep. It I can agree. be serious. But it doesn't have to be dark. Like there's a difference there, yeah. and I I think that uh, the first one handled that very wonderfully, and I hope we can get the same here. Agreed. Okay, let's move on to Destiny Two then. Yeah, all kinds of Destiny stuff as Ooh, well. Yeah. Uh, starting with we got uh, from Game Informer. It was uh, hands on with the PC version, and from what we've learned, the PC version of Destiny Two will be running upwards of 4K 60 FPS if you can handle it. Unlimited. <laughs> frames per second there's no cap yeah (laughs) (laughs) not not that you can particularly tell it from the video they uploaded because the video of course wasn't running (laughs) quite as good that good but you could still see there there were some improvements in like texture quality and lighting over what we've seen in the the console versions of it and also just seeing how the game handles on pc like it's it looked like it worked like a PC game should. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, it was obviously running on a really powerful PC. Oh, absolutely. So, like, that makes a huge difference. You can't expect that that's what it's going to look like on yours. So there's there's that, of course. But 
but no, it still played well. And what was cool again was I actually saw several videos of them running it at 4K, and each one was like it was smooth, like it, it was nice. You really got a good sense of how great it. It, it, it handled that heavy a load, especially when you've got a lot of explosions or shots being fired and things like that and all the particle effects. It just looks phenomenal. The thing is, though, and this is the thing that I want to say, like it, it's it's all well and good to be like excited about being able to play this in 4K on your, your screen. And yes, it will look spectacular if you can run it. But the fucking Destiny 1 on console on the the not even the updated consoles the legacy mm-hmm. ones still looks amazing it's just and a you, great you can do a lot game. with art direction that you don't need polygons and high textures for yeah like a case in point i was joking around while the intro was going like i was literally playing right before the show started cuz i had a half hour to spare so i bounced in and i got a legendary so i'm happy but i'm sitting there and like I'm, I'm. It's a 40 inch LCD, and or sorry, 46. That one, I believe, the TV, and and the, just the game looks spectacular. It's not even freaking 4K. It's 1080p, and it looks amazing. So yeah, it's great to be excited for it, and it's going to look even better, obviously. But keep in mind, fuck, even just Destiny on legacy consoles looks incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of those things where like Microsoft was making it a point to push 4K. Uh, so I figured like other people were like, yes, 4k, 4k, we could do this. Uh, so I felt that they made a bigger deal out of that than they needed to. Uh, Cause I agree with you. Like the original game looked fantastic. There was, it was beautiful. Like the, the yeah. lighting effects were great. The shadow effects were great and sound weird, but like even the smoke effects were really well done. Uh, it didn't have that sort of blotchiness you yeah. see in other games division. Um, <laughs> But so they they could do a lot with that. So I don't really care about the 4K as long as the gameplay is solid. It's a thing with, you know, all technology. And we're getting to that point with graphics where it's diminishing returns. Like, yes, you can talk about the numbers and why it's technically superior to the previous game. But as that continues to grow, like it's yeah. so much. And, and well, you know, it's it, 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 like, like I said, it's also an aesthetic thing. Like, yeah, this looks great. It looked good before, so you know having that small upgrade. Even though, yes, you know if you crunch the numbers, it's you know this phenomenal technological achievement. But for like people actually playing it, you're noticing less and less of a difference as we're climbing up that slope. It's also that what game you're playing too, because again, like 4K TVs mm-hmm. do look spectacular. Oh, without like, a doubt. They, uh, Karen and I have joked about it quite a few times, like that we would it'd be good if one of our TVs just happened to break because <laughs> there's no reason <laughs> otherwise to replace a perfectly good 1080p big screen TV. There's no reasons whatsoever. But if you are buying something new and you want to spend a couple extra bucks like we were um, at Best Buy when we picked up uh, uh, Logan not that long ago and decided just to take a little walk around and look at the the TVs and once again you're just like awestruck by 4K when you are are close to it so yeah it will look spectacular but it's just one of those again for that type of game and the way that it's done fuck it already looks good anyways right now so but mm-hmm. anyways it it will be cool in addition to all the technological stuff though we're getting you know more and more hints about the story that uh Homecoming introductory mission was playable at E3, so a lot of people got their hands on that. And people are, of course, asking questions about where the story is going to go. 
and coming to a realization of just how fucked the story was in Destiny yeah. 1. Uh, one. This one article I linked uh, talking about the darkness. You know, we know the darkness, the bad guys, they're, you know, they're part of the darkness. Well, what, what is the darkness? I asked Bungie. And Bungie's response was, we don't fucking know. <laughs> they never knew what the darkness was supposed to be. And, you know, they're like, oh, you know, maybe just, you know, all the enemy races, they're collectively known as the darkness. And they realized that's stupid. This is why people hate the story in this game. So the darkness with, you know, capital letters and quotes around it will not be part of destiny 2 at least in you know season one if you will they're focusing more on gary and the cabal and the destruction of the traveler and the loss of the light the darkness is you know present but it's not going to be mentioned in the story because i said once they finally get into the lore of the darkness which they claim now they know what it is they want to do it right and not in kind of a throwaway method so you know what (laughs) people can laugh about that and feel free but a lot of very popular games start out with weird concepts that they don't mm-hmm. understand and then wrangle it into something that is completely different. Like uh, the first example that comes to mind is uh, World of Warcraft with the light and how they talk about what the light is. Because originally, uh, way back in the day when the actual Warcraft RTSs were around, the priests were just there, there was literally a god and then there was hell and then there was like that was it. Like demons were born from hell and the light was basically given from God. And it turned into this whole thing where the light sort of expanded into this whole big thing that is now sort of iconic. And and a lot of story has been sort of interwoven with over the years and become very, very important. And their version of the darkness, which was the Burning Legion, which was kind of like, well, what the hell is this thing that we created? Whoops, has turned into, again, a central story point uh, for them that has spun I get at this point, multiple expansions. We're in one right now. So, I mean, it, it's okay to start with a terrible idea or an idea that you don't really know what quite it is as long as, as you come as back to it later and As long as you realize it it's a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> and it sounds like they did. It. Yeah. And it sounds like they did. I'm, and then I'm, I'm, I'm still shocked by it, though. I, <laughs> I, I, I get that this happens. I get that this happens also for, probably more than you think it does. Oh no no, there's no probably. I know it does and it happens in a lot of different media not just game making as well. So I get that. It's just f- for me personally, like Joe and I have been talking back and forth about writing lately again because we're each working on different projects and when I was talking to you about the one that I'm doing with my son right now, I was saying like we've planned it all out. We we know the story in its entirety. We broke down every single chapter. Now, part of that was because we uh, because we're working together, and you want to make sure you're each on the same without using a bad pun, same page kind of thing. But that's how I work on all my projects now because I've done some where you're like, huh, let's just see where it takes us, and it fucking fails, and you're screwed, and then you've wasted all that time and energy. And that's just personal time and energy. That's not a studio that has backing and that has deadlines and and all of that. Like I just, for me personally, the idea of running a development studio and approving or working on a, a game where something so intrinsic to the story isn't figured out. I, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I, I would be hiring new writers. Say, <laughs> so get your shit in well, order. They did. <laughs> exactly. Thing. So, yeah, I just, I, I don't get it. Well, I'll, I'll do you one better because in another interview, not I, I 
don't remember where I found it. It was, you know, last week and the big rush of, you know, all the E3 stuff. So I, I don't think I got the link, but I read another interview with uh, Bungie specifically referencing the Exo Stranger, who was such an important part of, you know, the initial Destiny storyline. I don't think she showed up after the end of, you know, Vanilla Destiny. I, I Not that I can recall, although I haven't finished all the content of the game, of course. She did not know. Yes. The the infamous one who doesn't have time to explain why she doesn't have time to explain. <laughs> well, they were asking, well, now, you know, there's more games, there's more expansions. Are you guys going to have time to explain? And Destiny's, or Destiny, Bungie's response was essentially, nah, she's never coming back. <laughs> we don't know why players are so interested in finding out more about this. Like, because she was a huge part of the story in the original game and had literally no explanation behind her. And for a long time, the best sniper rifle in the game was named after that whole thing. <laughs> And, of course, people just want to know what the fuck that was about. But, again, they had no plan. It was just something they shoved in there. And, like like you said, Roger, let's see where it takes us. Sometimes that fails, and this is one of them because it, they could just be bullshitting. But, uh, according to this interview, they have no plans to bring the Exo Stranger back to the story at any point. The thing is, is that they created this fantastic world. They created this fantastic setting and these iconic characters that you do care about. So the fact that they were so flippant with story then pisses me off. <laughs> like I watched that, the, what was it called again? Was it called homecoming? The the first quest homecoming, that you do that. Yeah. As I don't know if you guys felt the same way, but it, because a, I played it back then. And because now I'm playing it again and I'm steeped in it right now, kind of thing. I watched that, that gameplay where you're playing with them, essentially kind of thing. And you're, mm-hmm. It's like almost chills up the spine, kind of like, oh, my God, I can't wait for this. Like there's something it reminded me of when we were first doing um, DC Universe Online and getting Kevin Conroy in our ear as Batman telling us to do stuff. And for some reason, I flashed to that because that was so iconic. Like, again, Batman in your ears and you're working. Well, here it's the dynamic trio of guys that you're working with and stuff. And it was like, damn, that's cool. So the fact that they cared, at least then, hopefully it's better now. Although presumably probably not that much better. But, man, it's like, fuck. It's just opportunities wasted, in my my opinion. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of makes you think of, you know, the the destiny that could have been, even though, you know, the game we have now is fantastic. You know, what if they had had a better start? Where could yeah. we be now? Yeah, exactly. OK, was that it for destiny? I believe so, unless you had something. No, nah, I'm good. I, I know you posted like the Blizzard store link, but there wasn't anything really there other than. Yeah, hey, that the was Blizzard well. Store I link. just said it was it was available. They did say because we had talked about that uh, last episode in regards to the exclusive content go into the PlayStation, mm-hmm. it will be making its way. They didn't say anything about the Xbox, but they did say to PC sometime in 2018, which might mean I'm betting you a year exclusive. Yeah. Which means it might not show up until then, which is stupid, but there it is. So. Yep. Anyways, let's move on to Detroit Become Human because there was a really good interview with David Cage on GameSpot where they talked about a few things regarding the game because much like with Far Cry 5, there's elements of Become Human that are very topical right now 
and this idea of a essentially a race gaining sentience and then having to deal with the the oppression that they go through kind of thing mirrors the very, very real oppression that minorities have to go through right now kind of thing. And so when they were working on that demo for E3, you had to be very careful because, again, there's there's terrorist, terrorism and suppression and they talk about slavery and exploitation. And they literally just had the attack in Paris before while he was working on that. So... What I liked about the interview, not the least of which being the information they gave about the story, which I'll get into in a little bit. But what I liked was that they want to create, by the sound of it, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it sounds very much like they want to create a game that does touch on these elements because they're very important in our lives right now and they should be addressed. And he was even saying, like, you you should be able to address all of these things in games because it is that sort of medium. But he's also showing respect as well for the people who are either suffering or, or whatever because of this and, and not and taking certain elements out because it just it's not just that it wouldn't necessarily fit. But right now is not the right time for it. So there's wanting to put these important things in our lives, but also still at the same time having respect for people and and making sure that's present in their, their work. I have nothing but respect for that it's it's a fine line to dance but if you can do it that's great and then in terms of what they were saying for gameplay and whatnot we had talked about the potential of you being able to play as more than one character because this was so significantly different than the stuff we'd already seen well yeah you will be able to play as three different characters so that's awesome and then there's a lot of different choices that you can make that was Obvious from the the trailers, but they discussed that as well. The scope of this is a lot more than I anticipated as well. Because he was saying, like, he wanted to do that game where nobody does this, where only 10% of players will see certain things. Because Mm -hmm. there are so many branches on that tree that someone can play through. And not just, like, three different endings, alternate endings you can have significantly different playthroughs of the entire games to the point of even people joining your quote-unquote party as well, friends that you made that accompany you through the game, that some other players may never even meet. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the kind of intricacy in gameplay and where your choices make a, a huge difference that, like, I'm I'm really hoping that this sells very well to encourage other developers to really put the work and effort into something like this as well so that we can have a game that has a massive replayability to it by sheer virtue of the fact that they don't even know how many gameplays it would take for you to go through the game to see everything that they actually have put in. That's freaking awesome. The Vince playthrough of this game is going to be amazing. <laughs> I'm quite I can certain we'll imagine <laughs> human blood everywhere. Yeah. All right. So let's move on then to World of Warcraft because Tumasar Jarrus is in Sir Garrus, sorry, is in tomorrow, I believe. Is it? Yep. Goes live tomorrow for normal and uh normal and heroic, and then Mythic and LFR open the week after. And so last week was the class mounts. Last week was the class mounts because it was one of those things where the Broken Shore campaign, the final quest was available. 
So you were able to do the last quest in the series, uh, and as a reward, you were able to get the uh, your class mount, which was each one was actually kind of cool. Uh, I'll do I'll talk about those a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, it's all you. Go ahead. So every class got something specific to them, and in a, a lot of cases, they were perfectly tailored to the class. Like in the case of Shaman, I get to ride an elemental, an elemental that changes its sort of attunement based off of my spec. Oh, really? So I can yeah, so I can be riding a fire elemental if I'm in my elemental spec or an actual tempest elemental if I'm in my enhancement spec or water elemental if I'm in my uh, restoration spec. It's actually a really cool feature, and every mountain in the game for every class shares that trait. Depending on what spec you're in, it will adjust its appearance. Um, some are a little bit more shifted than others, Uh Priests get a, an owl griffin, which is a really cool that looking mount. Beautiful. It's the only. What's that? I said that one's beautiful. Yeah, and and it's it can be golden, white, or golden for discipline, white for holy. And if you turn into shadow, it turns into a giant purple owl griffin. Like it's just, these are really cool touches, and each each quest to unlock them is a story bit based off of your class. Warriors have to punch a dragon like you are fighting a dragon to subdue it to become your mount. Uh, hunters have to stalk their prey and, and sort of get this wolf eagle It is literally a wolf eagle hybrid that they get to ride around on. Um, for shaman, we actually go back to the elemental plane of air and beat the shit out of three old raid bosses solo to basically whip them into subservience to the new Lord of Wind that we put in the throne, basically. Lord Thunderin is back. You resurrect him in your, your class campaign. And he's like, yeah, so uh, the Wind dudes over there, they, uh, they don't want to follow me. You're really good at beating stuff up. Go over there. Beat them up. And it's cool. And there's like this whole cinematic that plays out. And then you you get these mounts as, as rewards for it. It's a, it's a very interesting touch. And I know some people are not happy with it. Like mages get... Uh, an arcane disc, and they're like, oh, it's an arcane disc, blah, 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 But it's forged from elements of all three of their specs. So it's like concentrated arcane energy of fire, arcane, and ice. And it looks really friggin' cool. Seriously? It's just a nice thing. You really think that the mages didn't get screwed on this one? I don't. Actually, really? seen, wow. it in, seen it in game, it looks beautiful. Like, it, the way it shifts color, the way it moves, the way it rotates as you fly... It is very, very pretty, and not everybody hates it. Like I, I actually think it's great, but I see a lot of mages that actually really like it as well. So I mean, I'd rather have a cool flying disc than another fucking horse, and with which there's plenty, or a flying horse, or whatever random goat thing they want to have you fly on or this time, or another dragon that they've used that same model eighteen billion times. Well, look at the rogue one. That's a freaking flight form. For druids. Yes. <laughs> Rogues are flying druids. <laughs> yes. Which is a very roguey thing to do, if you ask me. It's funny, but you kind of feel like they're being screwed a little bit. And then the fucking druid ones. Oh, they're so ugly. They had their like chance. The they could have made druids look awesome. Finally given them a dragon that they can polymorph into or change into a, a dragon. No, a fucking derpy looking thing. 
It's not. <laughs> it looks okay. like it forgot its keys at home. I don't think it's derpy at all. I think the owl form is actually really friggin' cool. And actually, no. I'm looking forward to getting it on my druid. No. The I owl am. that the priest got is awesome. <laughs> this derpy you, oh, motherfucker. You mean another owl thing that flies? Yeah. That one looks good. The The priest one looks awesome. <laughs> but, they both look awesome. No. <laughs> the priest one looks regal. Majestic, powerful. Look at it, and it's different too than a lot of the other ones that we had. This fucking Dreadwind is like, <laughs> I think I left the porch light on. <laughs> Agree to disagree. <laughs> do, 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 do. The only one that I think I, the only one that I think I would say maybe is potentially slightly disappointed would be the Death Knight one, because it's very similar to two other mounts that are already in game. It's basically another frost one. Everything else is really, really like cool, and and I love how they're conceptualized. Well, the but, the only one that really blew me away is the the shaman one. The the shaman one just all three of them look amazing. The only thing that would have made it cooler is if they would have made it so that <laughs> it holds you on one shoulder like a kid <laughs> with its arm <laughs> holding you kind of thing. That would have been awesome. <laughs> that would have been great. A rock elemental that does that. But the big news is the release of the Tomb of Sargeras Raid, which is important if you're interested in the story of the world because, well, it is a lore hub. Uh, This is one of those things where it's not just a tomb. It was originally a temple to a loon. That was where the Night Elf Order sat and worshipped. But now we're getting hints that it might have been something older. Uh, We're starting to see things like there is a Titanic watcher inside of this thing, which why would there be a Titanic watcher in an elf elf temple? Uh, More importantly, what is a Titanic watcher? So these are Titanic watchers are basically things that were created by Titans to uh, police or guard specific things. So if you've ever done Alduar Alderman, uh, the Halls of Stone, Halls of Lightning, uh, or even Karazhan, like the Maiden of Virtue, like those type of things, those are Titanic Watchers. Okay. And they act as either wardens or police forces for those areas. They're meant to guard them for the Titans. There's one in the Tomb of Sargeras. That's really intriguing. Uh, there's a lot of, besides just the Avatar of Sargeras, which I'll talk about in a minute, there's also the souls of all of the night elves that died when at some point demonic portals were opened in it. This is back in the days of the war of the ancients, when they had the well of eternity was being used as a portal to summon all these demons into the world. A backup portal was actually created inside of the temple of a loon. There's a lot of power here. So if you think about it, that's kind of an important thing. Now, fast forward years later, Sargeras imbues himself into a physical form to actually touch foot on Azeroth because Titans are too big. They can't go down. Uh, He winds up getting into a fight with Aegwyn. Aegwyn slays him. And then fearing that his body would have uh, an influence on the rest of the world, buries him in this temple that was sunk years ago in the shattering of the world. So when the Great Sundering happened, this temple uh, with all these wards against Fel and everything else that was placed during the, the battles of the War of the Ancients, under the water, she takes that body and slams it into there and then safeguards against it. Years later, Gul'dan 
comes to Azeroth, resurrects this island, this entire facility, Gul'dan 1.0, I should specify the, the original one in Warcraft 2, uh, in order to get powerful artifacts out of it at the bidding of his master. This place has been central to so many things that have happened in the world, and we're just barely starting to scratch the surface. Uh, promo pictures and, and different things of the interior are actually making it seem like this might be more than just a temple, too. This might be a Titan facility, and there's going to be implications here because this isn't the last raid. They have confirmed that there is going to be more content after this, and we know that we're going to Argus at some point before this expansion is over. So something that happens here leads us directly go to going to another planet. <laughs> So it's really cool from a story aspect. It's really cool from a lore aspect because this one place has touched so many pieces of the Warcraft story. I'm actually really excited to get in there and see what the hell's going on. Did they give any hints when the next one's going to be coming out? I don't think no. they have, so I have no idea. Right. I'm just curious if it's if that's going to be the gap again like in, in Warlords where there was like, what was that, 14 months, 15 months where nothing happened? So but they've been really good about adding content in between as well, too. Like, that's one thing I have noticed since between raid tiers, uh, there has been other things to do. And, and some people are like, oh, World Quest. There's been more than just World Quest. There was a new dungeon that was added. There was new PvP stuff that was added. PvP brawls have been a thing. Like, have you ever done brawls in Overwatch or Heroes of the Storm or even Hearthstone? They've added that into World of Warcraft for PvP. Um, they do all sorts of, of other stuff like that where they keep trying to to not have a content drought. Because one of the things that happened in Warlords is, yeah, there was a huge gap between raid tiers and dick all in between. Like, it was just, yep, okay, well, well, we'll see you in, you know, eight months. Now they're actually making a concerted effort to put more holidays or more things in between so that they can still add content while working on the big stuff. Okay. Anything else? No, that's, that's it. I, I just okay. honestly can't wait to see where the story goes. Cool. Okay. So, yeah, that's coming out tomorrow, you said. It'll be out tomorrow, and then, uh, like I said, LFR will be available the week after. So if you don't have a steady rating group and you want to pop in and check it out, less than a week to wait. Well, once you do run through it, we'll cover it again so you can give us your thoughts on it. Absolutely. So let's uh, move on to Diablo. Vince? Yeah, one of the YouTubers that I follow, uh, Riker, he does a lot of Diablo 3 videos. Uh, recently, he's been doing some Overwatch stuff as well as uh, branching out into other ARPGs like Path of Exile. And he posted a three-part interview with none other than David Brevik, the creator of Diablo. Uh, just talking to him about, you know, the past, present, and future of the franchise, as well as the action RPG genre. And the interview started off with him asking about you know, the original Diablo 3, the game him and his team were working on at Blizzard North before that studio stopped existing. And there was a lot of interesting revelations out of this the first of which being that originally like they weren't even working on diablo 3 they were actually working on a second expansion for diablo 2 and one of the big things they were going to put in with that was a new player class for like a cleric type class that they were designing to be very healing focused and a support class which now seeing you know how diablo 3 works you know that's not that big a deal but for diablo 2 that would have been a huge yeah. momentous shift for the game. And that's something he talked about, which, you know, they were working really hard on trying to balance that of now, you know, if you're doing group content, that cleric is now somewhat 
required for the survivability aspect, and that's going to change a lot of you know the way challenges work in the game, and just all, all these things that you know they were workshopping and you know looking at how Diablo three went at points, as he pointed out, with support classes being hugely overpowered. Like it's just an interesting parallel that you know he was having these same concerns 15 years ago before Blizzard actually just put that stuff in the game anyway. <laughs> I think it's funny because I think that had they gone that route, it would have essentially created more of a, an MMO feel for a party of having that trifecta mm-hmm. of your DPS, your tank, and, and your healer. Whereas with the route that they went instead with D3, which is, let's be honest, Requires far less intelligence when going, when designing, because it's just go in and obliterate everything. But you kind of have to stop and wonder, okay, well then, which one would have been more fun then? The going in and being careful, or just going in and feeling like complete badasses because everybody obliterates everything? Well, it's the way I look at it, as Diablo 3 was definitely the more fun, but probably for a shorter period of time. I think, you know, that... You know, the fictional version of Diablo 3 that now doesn't exist, I think that would have had you know more longevity as far as you know dynamics and whatnot. You're right. No, that's a good point. And I mean, honestly, though, the Diablo 3 that we originally got had so many missteps in it. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can't help but think that, that that contributed to, I don't want to say development hell, but close enough. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's a lot of stuff that they talked about, talking about how you know, the Diablo three that they were working on was supposed to be an MMO, which now we're hearing the rumors that, you know, that's probably the direction Blizzard's moving with Diablo four. So just how far ahead of the curve Blizzard North was on their development and, you know, the way gaming is going. They were essentially an entire generation ahead of, you know, what the games that actually are coming out as. And, and this goes back to um, it was that GDC talk yep. that we talked about a while back. Right, Roger? Yep. There and was just, two you know, actually. There was there. I, I think it was two years in a row he gave mm-hmm. talks at GDC, and both of them were spectacular. Yeah, it just like how brilliant that team was of you know having to engineer their way around problems that didn't exist until they created them. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> and they they built a genre from the ground up, and you know learned lessons along the way, and continued to innovate the whole time. Well, what's cool with the GDC ones especially is that you see how – it's like you're saying. It's adapting when there are problems, and there were a lot of them when they were working <laughs> on especially the first Diablo but also the second one. And and it's the mark of a, a really good team that can roll with those punches so that when something's thrown at them and they might not agree with it, they still – try their best to make it work and let's be honest first two diablos were really good games not without faults of course but man they're 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 iconic games for a reason so yeah i yeah i i would love it if they could find a way to bring him back for four Mm -hmm. whatever it is you're going to do with it whether you want to keep it as an arpg or turn it full-blown mmo i would love it if they could bring Oh, many of that team back and see what they can contribute to it now. And you just hear him talking and he, he says many times, it's a lot of, is it a difference of opinion? He doesn't have anything against what Diablo three does. You know, just, you know, his personal taste for how games work. You know, he wanted things a little differently. He, he still loves skill trees and how, you know, there's that permanence of choice when you're making your character, but he also yep. acknowledges that, you know, that's not 
a very accessible way to go. And we know Blizzard's all about accessibility in their gameplay. One thing, and I think Roger hit the nail on the head, uh, I would love to see these these folks be brought in for the next iteration, mostly because I think Blizzard is starting to shift back towards what Diablo 2 Mm -hmm. accidentally created, which was player engagement. I mean, you had an entire community that sprung up that created their own bartering system, put their own value on items, had an entire culture spring up and and slang. And it was the first time that I, me as a player, felt like part of a larger community. I remember all the message boards I had belonged to back in the day and and the IRC channels that I used to like coordinate with other people, uh, whether we were doing bail runs or whatever the case was. But that game lasted. It lasted so much that, I mean, uh, they're... There's leaks and, and, and rumors about an HD remake possibly being mm-hmm. a thing. Like, why? Because the game still matters. When they shipped Diablo 3, what did Diablo 3 Collector's Edition ship with? A copy of Diablo 2. Like, and that was the hottest selling item out of that entire box, like, for people on eBay. And I think Blizzard is starting to shift back towards it when you look at Heroes, when you look at overwatch and you and hearthstone and how they're trying to capitalize on player engagement and time bringing those people in to bring back some of those elements they have an understanding of that that was completely absent from diablo because i'll I'll, i mean between the three of us really how often do you guys play it i haven't touched it what's that diablo here yeah i did my uh my character's uh, I actually only did one for this the season that's still going on now that's going to end soon. So Tristan and I bounce in at the start of almost every season, not all of them. We've we've missed a few, but we try to as soon as the new season go, starts, we start our new characters and we'll play it for for a little while and then we stop. So I am still playing it. I, we do mm-hmm. enjoy it a lot. And when the Necro comes out, We'll be picking it up. I'll pick it up for him as well, and we'll play through that, and then we'll play through that season as well. The season ten, I believe, is what it is. And but we're only going to play for you know a month, maybe a month and a half. I would be amazed if we reached two. Mm-hmm. And then we're and done. see, and that's and that's a thing, right? Like that's a that's an important thing because that's what most people do that I know that are still playing yeah. the game is they play the season until they accomplish everything, which in some of the cases doesn't take very oh, long. Oh no. no. And then they're done until the next season. And that's just months of time in between. But that's not a bad thing, though, because it's it's not. But I mean, it's one of those things where I like players like me who I love Diablo as a franchise. I don't care about seasons. But no, what I mean is that I would prefer what we had back then, certainly. But they kind of screwed that by trying to take control of the economy and and profit from it whereas we had to create that ourselves and a lot of the other stuff so the game has significantly changed now if they can bring some of that back with four phenomenal but three for what it is now with the seasons because it has to be with the seasons sure is enough for us right now and right. well, because I, 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 without I the season, of us are saying yeah. you know no. diablo 3 is a bad game oh no 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 i know that no, no 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 i know that i'm just saying like if if it wasn't for the seasons, no, we'd barely be going into it. There, there'd be no reason to. But with the seasons, it's enough. We pop in a month at a time whenever there's a new season, play it, have fun, and then stop and play other and games. See, and that's just so weird to me as somebody who loved Diablo 2 and spent enough time in it that back in the days when you didn't install the entire game onto your hard drive and play it there, you actually had the disc involved. 
I burned through discs. Like I played enough that I mm-hmm. killed mice. Like, and that this is not an uncommon story. I know several people. I, I, I can tell you, I bought several copies of Diablo two. Yeah. For that exact reason. And I mean, but you don't hear about stuff like that now because back then there was just enough in the game to do. There was enough to hunt for. There was, even if we was something we crafted ourselves and that's the, the magic that I feel was missing from Diablo three, just for me. Okay. But like I said, go ahead. I I understand the season thing and everything else. Those are great things. And I'm really happy that they have those, but it's just, it feels, it feels like it could have been more than it was. Oh, definitely. But let me ask you this now. Okay. Do you feel in today's climate with the wealth of games and the wealth of amazing games at our fingertips that a Diablo 2, and be honest, not just because of how you feel about the game and and things like that, that a Diablo 2 would be anywhere near as successful now with so many other options of what to play? Yes, I do. And the reason I, I say that is for a couple of reasons. One, the name to the pedigree of the developer, uh, which is clearly cementing itself in a lot of markets for all the various games that they produce. I And I think the desire is there because Pillars of Eternity and, and other games like that are a thing. Grimdark is a thing. They're, these games exist for a reason. They exist to try to fill a, a hole that Diablo 3 didn't. But all of these games, when you play them, they feel very similar to... Diablo 2. Like, they take their cues from there. Grimdark especially is a game that I think is very entertaining and very fun, uh, but it doesn't have the world built quite like Diablo 2 does, but the mechanics of the gameplay are very similar. Like, it's... You could see where these games are trying to take their cue from it, so I absolutely believe that if they were to take Diablo 2 and simply recreate it, and I think we're going to see this when the HD version comes out, um, I think you're going to be surprised at how many people are playing it. Well, I know a lot of people play it, but again, it's like I was around again when it was out as well and, and played it far too much. So, <laughs> so I get that. Um, but what I mean is I don't, I don't think that it could be that again, because again, it's, could it be successful? Well, yes. Could it this, be very successful? Something... Yes. But not, not D2 successful. Well, this is something David Brevik himself said you'll never make another Diablo 2. That game is on a pedestal as one of the most perfect games ever made. You will never reach that pinnacle again. You can keep trying. It's just like he used League of Legends as an example. League of Legends, how many companies have tried to make League of Legends? None of them have done it. Even if Riot were to make a League of Legends 2, it probably wouldn't equal the success of the original. And he used Doom as an example. It took them 20 years to make another good Doom game. So, like, these games, you know, a lot of it is by design. Some of it is just by happenstance that makes these games, you know, Perfect as storms, iconic yeah. as they are. Yep. Yes, I'm, I'm sure a Diablo 2 style game, you know, let, let's say Diablo 4, you know, goes back to the way Diablo 2 was with, you know, skill trees and, you know, the way the loot system worked and trading and this and that. Like all the things that, you know, Brevik said, you know, made that game what it was. I'm sure it would be phenomenal. I'm sure it would people would play it for years, sink hundreds of hours into it. But at the same time, I still don't think it would equal what we all remember as Diablo 2. Yep. Okay, let's move on from there now. Joe, you had a, a trio of games to talk about. Go ahead. So I'll start with probably the one that I think is most interesting, and this is Shadows of the Tomb Raider, the third in the Tomb Raider relaunch series, 
which has been nothing more than possibly rumors up to this point. But art assets continue to pop up occasionally. Uh, the last time was eight months ago uh, when a site website had some marketing stuff. looked like a bunch of logos that popped up on their website. Those were taken down very, very quickly. And it seems that once again, not only have the logos popped back up on another website that seemed to be do, ready to do marketing for this game, but a bunch of conceptual art that we haven't seen for any of the other games with a much more ninja-esque feel to to Laura uh, has surfaced. And I think that's kind of interesting because we haven't heard anything about it. We didn't hear anything about it at E3. We haven't heard any plans about a, a, another game. It hasn't been that long since Rise of the Tomb Raider came out, but it was a successful, popular title. So I like this idea of there being more in the series, first of all, and I can't wait for the official announcement of it because, damn it, I'm all for Ninja Ninja Lore. No Quest. kidding. Oh, my God. When <laughs> I was looking at that, too, and I was like, part of what I loved about the the two remakes, the two most recent remakes, is that they're, to a certain degree, trying to be more original and just kind of... It's not just a reboot, but it's kind of a reimagining to a certain degree as well. And I like this idea that they can push that maybe a little bit further. So, yeah, put her in these other situations that still tie in with the, the quote-unquote Tomb Raider mentality. But fucking right. Give her some samurai swords. Do whatever. Have some fun with it. Make <laughs> it completely give different gameplay even for a little bit of it. Where instead of her normal attacks, she can do something more more melee that'd be awesome i've kind of stalled on the new tomb raider franchise just because by the time the second one came out on a console i own like i just like the hype had kind of passed for me like i still haven't played the second one so well i i will definitely be picking up the third whenever it's announced because yep. i friggin' love these games I, so do I it's capturing it's capturing that feel of the old the next game i wanted to talk about was nidhogg 2 now, Nidhogg 1 was a two-player dueling game done in an Atari style where you basically sword fought uh, each other in a scrolling environment to try to get to your opponents, basically their their base at the very, very end. Um, and it had all sorts of weird combos and everything else, but it was done in that Atari style, very blocky, very weird backgrounds, very uh, simple. Nidhogg 2 has been announced, uh, and we actually got to see some gameplay about it. Uh, where they've taken a more Sega Genesis 16-bit-ish approach to it, and it looks absolutely hysterical. And not only is it a dueling game with swords now, but there's multiple weapons. There's daggers and projectiles and all sorts of other stuff with hugely animated backgrounds and backdrops for you to fight against, uh, fight in front of, essentially. And it's really, really cool. I'm actually looking forward to this. This is a game that me and my buddies have had a lot of fun playing and this just seems to capture that feel of that era very, very expertly. Nidog is one of the hypest games I've ever seen. And like I've seen it played at like professional level and it's <laughs> astonishing. I can't wait for more. Don't wait the, for me. I was just going to say the last. <laughs> I was trying to be courteous. Uh, the last game to talk about is actually Dishonored 2. And this is not quite what you think it's going to be about. We've we've talked about it to death, but it was an interesting insight. Uh, there looked like... So Emily Caldwin being playable was an interesting and weird thing. It was a monkey wrench that we didn't expect, and it was 
apparently deeper than them just adding her as a playable character. It as in an interview with Harvey Smith, she was direct result of criticism from the first game. And this is something that I didn't even realize. And I like to consider myself woke to a certain degree as the saying goes, but all of the women in dishonored one were victims, servants, prostitutes, witches, or a mistress. There was a mistress in one of the one of the missions. That was it. They weren't pillars of society. They weren't shopkeepers. They weren't people that owned anything or did anything. They were backdrop. And this was actually brought up in a uh, a video by Anita Sarkeesian in her feminist frequency uh, stuff, where she was talking about the role of women as background characters. And Arcane Studios saw this, and they went back and they said. Oh shit! And they 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 sat down and they said, "Did we actually do this?" And they looked at it and they said, "We did." Oh man, we did. That's awful. And it talks about the lasting effect of having that pointed out to them was because that was never their intent. And so it became a deliberate design choice in Dishonor Two, not just to have Emily as a playable strong character, but to have other women that were you know, strong as well um, beyond just the main villain. You know, beyond just the witches, there were people in that town. There were there were guards that were women. There were, you know, important folks that were actually women. What the main doctor that was trying to cure the blood plague was a woman. Like they tried to make them more than just backdrops and and make them important to this living world, and they did. They succeeded, and all because of that that one video that ever that, that I know a lot of people were were shitting on, but it made for a better game. It made for a better world. So for those of you out there that say your criticism, your thoughts don't matter when they're measured and explained properly, they absolutely do. And this is a perfect example of it. That's why criticism is important to any art form. You know, it's you need that 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 pushback to challenge the creators to to continue to do better. And it's great to see a studio like Arcane, you know, rising to that instead of shunning it. I've talked to people a lot about the feminist frequency videos and and I will point blank admit that I get defensive when people bitch about them because mm-hmm. it further reinforces this idea that predominantly men have that things should continue to be the way they are or that have a problem with her because of her delivery. And it's that idea, well, fuck you, it's why is a woman speaking objectively about a game and offering criticism that's intelligent, well thought out and true. Just because she's speaking out, she's going to be attacked. And it pisses me off whenever anybody says anything bad about those because they are good videos. They do explain the inherent problem in games. And sometimes you get a situation like this where the studios didn't mean to, for it to happen, mm-hmm. but that's institutionalized misogyny that's been going on for centuries, for longer than that. And right. it, it's, not, it's not a problem in game development. It's a problem in society. So when they just continue with the way, you know, the status quo, they don't realize until someone points it out, which, again, that's why it's important. That's right. And so the fact that they listened and that they didn't take it personally and what resulted was a much, much better experience a richer experience it shows that 
all fucking devs, all studios should be listening to this, taking cues from this and learning from this because there's still a long haul ahead of us till the majority of the games understand this because right now the majority simply do not. So, yeah, awesome. Okay, we're going to close out. I actually, yesterday was Father's Day, so we, we sat around and had a game afternoon and we do talk about board games here, so this is not exactly a board game, but it has got enough elements that I figure it's safe to put in just as a quick it's plug. It's podcast. We'll talk about whatever the hell, the hell we, we want. want. Yes. And I'm not getting paid any money, but like you've heard me gush about Cryptozoic forever for Hex and other stuff that they've done over the years. Well, they put out a game called Poker Assault not that long ago. And basically, you have a choice of four different themed decks. You get your werewolves, vampires, aliens, and and rocket heroes, like golden age heroes kind of thing. And you're basically, everybody gets their deck, so it's not a traditional game of poker. But you're essentially, your poker hand that you play out is an assault, and then whoever you're playing against has to defend against it. I'm not going to go into the rules, just to say that it's 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 a lot of fun in and of itself just like that. But then some of the cards also have abilities based on the deck, which make it a lot of fun. So if you are looking for a game, if you like poker and you like, you're not just like freaking hardcore because he's watched too much TV of it's got to be Texas Hold'em or no poker at all. If you like poker, you like having fun, definitely check it out. It's called Poker Assault from... Cryptozoic. It's a it's an actual hard game. It's not a, a physical a digital game. Though, guys, seriously, if you're listening, this would be an awesome iOS game. Amazing <laughs> if there was multiplayer that you could do this. Oh my god, that'd be a phenomenal game. But just as a very very fun game, the rounds depending on how well you do, how depending on your draw, we had some rounds that went fairly fast, like within 15 20 minutes. At least one person was out, and then you're taking out the other one. And uh, But some went a little bit longer. Again, it depends on your, your hand and whatnot. But we played for hours, and it was a ton, ton, ton of fun. So if you're looking for something different, you like poker, definitely check it out. And with that, we are going to call it a wrap for this episode. Thank you very much for joining us. You can find the show notes at forthelore.com slash no. You can find the show notes at forthelore.com. You can also find us on Twitter at forthelore or Joe is Loader ZJ, Vince is Simodian, and I am at Zen Buddhist. You can also leave us your thoughts and comments on iTunes and Stitcher. And with that, we will talk to you guys next week. Well, I thought my picking would set them on fire, but nobody wanted to hire a guitar man. Well, I nearly about starved to death down in Memphis. I run out of money and love. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by ForTheLore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. I showed him what a band would sound like. I was a swinging a guitar, man. Show him, son.